Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into a belated episode 49 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we were going to do this a couple days ago, but with everything going on in the climate of sports, it just didn't quite feel right to, to record an episode. So a little bit of a delay on getting episode 49 out there, but we sure have a lot to unpack. Yeah, uh, it's going to be probably a little bit heavier of an episode uh, with some of the things we need to talk about. But, uh, you know, I think uh, starting the conversation is is good. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's been a pretty wild uh, week, uh, both on and off the ice for the Canucks. We have three Canucks games to unpack as well there, going back to the Canucks knocking out the Blues and the first two games of the Vegas series in... Yeah, like you said, plenty to unpack in the world of sports. It's really been an eventful week. And anyways, Doug, how are you doing? Haven't seen you in a little while. Yeah, no, I'm pretty I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, chilling in Olympic Village. Uh, you know, it's been mildly cooler, even though the sun's been out this whole time. So that's nice. It hasn't been extremely hot. Uh, you know, work's work. It's been busy and stressful, like I'm sure everybody else who's working during a pandemic is feeling at the moment but uh yeah uh i'm pretty good man what about yourself pete how's the west end yeah west end is good man it's uh things are good i was in victoria for a few days uh, as well there and we recorded while i was in victoria and uh nice to be back in the west end the weather's been good down here it's i was out in stanley park going for a run picked some blackberries in there the other day and made some crumble because apparently i'm uh, i'm an old man I'm an, I'm an old man at heart, I think. Or maybe I'm young at heart. I don't know. Maybe I'm both. Can you be both? I don't know. But uh, it's been it's been really good down here. It's uh, nice kind of, this is a nice time of year, you know. It's like, you, you know fall is on the way, and I love fall. I love that time of year. But you can kind of start to feel it in the air, as, and uh, but it's still nice enough. I uh, just met up with a, a friend of ours down in a park and had a beer, and that, that was nice, too. You can still do that. So, yeah, just enjoying everything that this late summer has to offer in this beautiful city. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fall, autumn guy myself. I always like when the least, especially in the West End. I used to live a block away from you, Pete, back in the day. And your street in particular, I'm not going to name what street it is, obviously. But uh, there's that one time, usually in between late September, early October, all the leaves change and the street looks magnificent. Like, it's just gorgeous. I'm just going to wait for if I piss you off this episode, you're just going to rage yell into the microphone my address or something. <laughs> Definitely won't be doing that. A couple of quick plugs to get things going. Uh, the podcast is on Twitter, and that is at Canuck Speak. Myself, I am on Twitter as well at Pete underscore Gas. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, Pete and I are compiling an outro playlist uh, during the outro segment of every episode, Pete and I add a cool, funky, groovy track. And then we have compiled this playlist on Spotify. Check it out. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Give it a listen. Costs you nothing except for your time and some good music. Yeah, some good good beats on there. I do enjoy that playlist. And uh, we're adding another pretty awesome track to it tonight as well. So... The appropriate thing to do, Doug, is to talk about the big issue right off the bat here. And uh, like I said, we were going to record a couple days ago. Uh, we decided to pause it. It just uh, wasn't the right climate. Uh, but we did want to put out an episode before Game 3. And um, 
I, it's it's important to address everything that's going on in sports and and what happened on the 26th of August and spilled into the NHL as well on the 27th of August. I started with the, the Milwaukee Bucks and with everything that happened in the state of Wisconsin, the Bucks really felt that they had to make a statement and that kind of started a domino effect of games getting postponed in the NBA and much like at the start of COVID when the NBA really started the dominoes uh, other sports leagues quickly followed Um, Doug first of all what do you think of the way the NBA handled this well I don't know if the NBA the league did anything I think it was mostly the players the well it was mostly the players not I think the players were the ones that decided to take a stand I know there was conversations I believe Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors before the Bucks decided to boycott the game uh on the 26th there uh there was talk that of of boycotting the Raptors uh Celtics game and then yeah I mean the magic it was it was totally unprecedented nobody saw it coming the Magic were on the court warming up for the game, and the Bucks just didn't come out of the locker room. And that was a powerful statement. Uh, and I think, obviously, there must have been a conversation in the locker room, and they made a conscious decision as a group to boycott that game. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and I know the league probably doesn't want to get into this but I mean does that mean that game was forfeited I don't know like I don't think they really want to step into that especially since it was such a powerful uh moment by the Bucks to do that and it inspired leagues players across North America to follow suit so I'm not sure you know if the NBA is going to say that that game will just be made at you know made up at a later date I haven't heard anything confirmed on that as of yet, maybe it already has been confirmed. I just don't know. No, it um, was uh, Doug. They uh, the Magic refused to accept the forfeit, and that's what oh, that's what did? led to the postponement of the other games. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, it was it was surreal. Uh, I was working that day, and I was on the desk of working the desk at my job. Uh, you don't get a lot of free time to look at social media or follow the news. It can be pretty hectic, pretty busy. You got five things going on at once. You're like a chicken with its head cut off. And then you and I had planned to record that night and I got home and then I started reading everything and seeing what was going on and the overwhelming, you know, emotion and, you know, how proud so many people were, myself included, that players were taking a stand and trying to put the onus back on, you know, owners to help with this and to do something and players using their platform. Yeah, man, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty incredible. What about you, Pete? I mean, I think, uh, again, the, there's a lot of pressure on the Bucks. Uh, well, not pressure, but there was, there was a social responsibility with, with teams in the state of Wisconsin to react to what happened with Jacob Blake. I think there was, there, the, the Bucks felt that they had to do something, and uh, it was very—I've never seen that before either. I thought it was, it was a really powerful moment. And again, the power of the NBA, once that happened, uh, it, it basically forced the NBA to say, well, we gotta, we got to sh- shut this down because we can't force anyone's hand with this issue. It's not going to be good for us or for anyone else. If we really want to promote change and if we really want to stop systematic racism and and educate people more we have to postpone it so all those games postponed spilled over into major league baseball mls wnba took the nhl a little longer the nhl ended up playing games that night and 
do you think that was the right thing? Do you think that the NHL should have canceled games, the last two games they had that night in the wake of everything going on? Well, again, it was never going to be the NHL, just like it, was, it wasn't It was the NBA. The players were the ones, right? And I think at that time, I think a lot of those players, and this probably sounds ignorant, but I think a lot of those players are at least using the the narrative that, you know, they weren't really paying attention to what was going on outside of the world. And I mean, I'm sure they would have known that the NBA players had taken a stand and the Milwaukee Bucks decided that they, uh, you know, were protesting that game. Um, but just the way the league tried to then make up for the fact that they were playing games that night was very clunky. You had that weird, awkward moment of silence in one of the Eastern Conference games and you know, you had the little, uh, the jumbotron with like what looked like it took someone five minutes on PowerPoint to make, you know, stop racism. Uh, and then the late game between Dallas and Colorado, there was nothing, nothing happened. Nothing was said. And, uh, so yeah, like it was just very clunky and it was, it was awkward. It was awkward to watch. And, you know, as a guy who is a white male living in Canada, grow, has grown up watching hockey. It's my favorite sport of the big four in North America. It's a predominantly white sport and, you know, it isn't as inclusive as other sports are of the big four, even though it tries to be, it's not. And, you know, it was, it was clunky. And I, I, I will hand out an olive branch and say that I do think it was, it was tough for the players to, to know what to do in that moment. And the league, again, the league, Look, I, I love the NHL, but the executives at the top, they're fucking cowards, man. And they were never going to step in and actually do anything. It was always going to be a player-driven movement. And the following day, we saw that. And yeah, man, it was very proud <laughs> being a Canucks fan right now as they seem to be at the forefront to push to have uh, the games postponed. Well, the NHL for a long time, uh, well, forever, really. Uh, and you, you, we can joke about this with hockey interviews and just the sterileness of it. I mean, everyone can make fun of a hockey interview. It's the same stuff, repeat, repeat. And hockey players have always played it safe. And maybe that's because they're from more humble nations, I, I want to say. I mean, if you're talking about countries like Canada, Sweden, Denmark, it's not those those three come to mind because switzerland very i find them all very similar in a lot of ways that they're they're not really the type that like to go out and cause confrontations and there are americans in the league yes but they are a minority while in the other big four they're the the vast majority i think for me uh i i think the nhl had time they had about three hours before the late game they had time to to do something about it. And that's what I think for me, it was the NHL missing the mark on this is because there was enough time for them to realize like, Hey, if we really want to initiate some social change here, this would be a really big statement from a white dominated league. But of course it's on the players and the players kind of miss that opportunity too. And I've heard explanations why, and I do understand it. But again, this is kind of the, the hockey culture and what, what needs to change and what needs to, people need to, speak out more in the hockey world about this and, and take a stand. And I like to think that this won't happen again in a situation similar to that. I think that players will step up more. Uh, I don't think the players really knew. I, I felt that they needed to talk to the the black minority players on their team and on other teams and figure it out. 
But I like to think that we're approaching a point where the white players in the league and the non-American players in the league can also stand up and realize and say, hey, this is happening. We can't play tonight. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, it comes, you know, hockey is very much you know, a white sport, uh, there, you know, there might be one person of color on every team. If, if that, you know what I mean? In the league. And, you know, at the moment, uh, it's what I heard. I heard someone, I, I, I'm trying to think who it was. It might've been Pierre Lebrun, but I could be wrong. And I, I, I don't want to get the name wrong, but I heard someone talking today and they were saying that they had talked to a lot of players and a lot of the players, a lot of white players had kind of reached out to just, you know, give a comment about the situation because, you know, it was very inspiring what happened yesterday. And we haven't even really touched on, you know, how the NHL corrected and the players corrected course from the 26th to the 27th. But I, again, I keep thinking it was Pierre Lebrun, but I could be wrong. But he was saying that players had reached out, white players had reached out to him. And they said that they feel more comfortable having these conversations with players of color on their team where in the past they didn't feel comfortable trying to initiate a conversation with them for whatever reason, because they thought maybe I'm overstepping my boundary or, you know, maybe they don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. All that, you know, PC bullshit instead of, you know, saying, Hey guys, like, let's have a real conversation here. You know what I mean? Let's talk about what's going on in the world and how we as a union, you know, the NHLPA is a union. It's a brotherhood, you know, it really is. And it's amazing how the Canucks, you know, and it sounds like, you know, 10 players from their leadership core, the names haven't come out. I would assume Bo Horvat would have been one of them as he's the captain. You know, they all reached out to Ryan Reeves, wanted to have a meeting with him. And, you know, it sounds like the Canucks were one of the, the teams and their players were one of the teams really pushing for this. And they, reached out and put that olive branch out to Ryan Reeves, who then said that at first he felt like all the pressure was on him to figure out what to do, right? And a lot of, I think a lot of the players on his team were uncomfortable maybe approaching it to him and asking him what, you know, he thought they should do. And I know uh, Kevin Shattenkirk reached out to him. They were former teammates in St. Louis. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I, I think that the conversation and, white players are more comfortable having that conversation with their teammates of color, I think is a step in the right direction. And just as a society, we need to be having that conversation more. It's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I do, I think the NF, uh, the NHL, sorry, fumbled the ball, the fumbling kind of fumbled my, my sports there uh, a little bit with what they did on the 26th. Um, I do think that overall they recognize that there was they shouldn't be playing and it didn't feel right to play uh, by the time everything kind of settled in on the 27th. Um, it, it felt like a bit of a missed opportunity though, uh, not canceling those games that night in my opinion. Um, but really on, again, on, you mentioned on the Canucks side of things, um, I'm very proud of this team and I was already proud of this team, but for me, 2020 feels like a success now for this team, no matter what you it's, it's a team that has, a moral compass and a, and a good moral compass. And you've mentioned Bo Horvat in there, but I know that Troy Stetcher, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, there were Jake for 10 and there were a lot of people and, and the ages of those guys are all in the same young twenties bracket, which is showing you that the, this generation, I guess they are millennials. 
um, and you got the Gen Zs now coming up behind them. But these generations are a lot more aware of the world they're in and the racial inequality that still exists, uh, as does gender inequality and sexual inequality in a lot of places, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that this team has a moral compass, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm very, it takes guts to go over to that dressing room to talk to those guys and be like, hey, how do you feel about this? We don't think we should play. And I am extremely proud of this team. And no matter what happens from this point on with the series for the Canucks, I, I am just super proud and consider this 2020 season a success. I agree. Uh, it's it's been a it's been a really good year, and in some way, like I think these players being in this little bubble has actually brought all of them together because even you know they see the other teams all the time. Like they're in the bubble, they'll go to the cafeteria, and there are the Vegas players hanging out, or they'll go to like the pool, and there's four Vegas players uh, swimming in the pool. So you know they're actually around each other a lot more than like if they were traveling to Las Vegas or Pittsburgh, wherever they're on the road trip, they see each other in the arena and more likely than not, they won't see each other after the game. Uh, You know, often teams are flying right out of the city they just played in to go to fly into the next city that their game is. And so I think it's actually brought the brotherhood of the league a lot closer together. And obviously you see that in the NBA as well. And yeah, right now, man, like 2020 has been a really shit fucking year. But I, I think I, I, I've been, I am more proud to be a Canucks fan right now than I probably ever have been at this, any moment in my life. Just the, 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 the core values that these players in that locker room seem to have and, you know, how they stand up for, um, minorities and oppressed, uh, people in this society that we're living in right now. It's, it's, it's nice to see. There was that story of Petey when he was a kid and two of his best friends were going to be deported out of Sweden. And there was a little news article. I don't know if you ever saw that. It came out about a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Obviously, you know, what's going, you know, Brock Besser and some of the things he's been going through, Troy Stetcher, you know, marching in the pride parade, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, obviously, uh, Jacob Markstrom as well, you know, he's a big advocate of the LGBTQ uh, community. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, really good, genuine people in that locker room. And too often, you know, athletes don't show who they are to the public besides what they do on and off, you know, the playing field. They don't open up to the public. They're meant to shut up and play sports kind of thing right and we're seeing a shift and a change that no you know what athletes have a platform far greater than the majority of the people in our society do and they want to use that platform they don't want to just be bystanders they want to use their platform to help initiate change and it's great to see that in this city as well one of the things i love about living in the west end is the diversity here and not just in the west end the west end is really a, a mixed bag of nuts like there's there's people from all walks of life down here but in this city in general and i think we're just so used to it but it is unique i've been to a lot of other hockey arenas and seen games but when you go to games in vancouver there is 
a white presence, there is a South Asian presence, and there's an Eastern Asian presence. And there's almost equal parts. And then you have uh, that there's a large following in the LBGTQ plus community as well. It's it's a very diverse fan base that we have here. And having a team that is aware of that and accepts that and is, wants to improve equality with that, I, I think that, that says a lot. Uh, it says a lot for the city. I think we're very fortunate. I think it's a, a good marriage between this team and the fans right now as well. Um, but again, I'm, I really couldn't be prouder of the team for doing what they did and being a part of this. And having our captain right at the forefront of that very powerful press conference. I watched the entire press conference this morning and I can't just help but think like just that's something I've never seen in hockey before is you have five players at the front and an army of players behind them all wearing masks. It was, it really gave a strength in numbers feel to what I thought. Yeah. I mean, just the visual was, it was very powerful, you know, just to see that and to see that that change and, you know, this generation of players is, uh, you know, they're fighting for change. And, you know, right now, and again, you know, we're a hockey podcast. We're definitely not a political podcast. But, you know, with the election happening this year down south, you know, there's there's a lot of people that want change. And, you know, it's nice to see that people in Canada, you know, there's still this this hatred happening in Canada. You know, and another thing we need, I think we need to shout out, shout out is Justin Morissette, uh, you know. Uh, he's a big personality on Twitter. He works for Sportsnet 650, and uh, he stood up to some hateful uh, bigotry uh, on the West End. You know, he he lives in that area as well, and there was some hateful preachers down there, and he confronted them, and he's in the hospital with a broken leg, and, you know, I'm sure he's going to have to go through physiotherapy for a few years, and, you know, he stood up for what is right and you know to call out hate speech and to call people out and you know that's another you know another person part of the community that you know you know you look up to and you say hey man you know good on you i mean you know, it might be tough right now laying in a hospital bed and i'm sure there's a lot of people you know coming after you at the moment but you know what you did what's right and you know we support you and it's it, it, the times they are changing man they really are uh, to quote bob dylan yeah, and and good on him as well, man. That's uh, my hood, and uh, I've I read about that story, and it's great to see this fundraiser for him going well. Um, I think that's awesome too. Um, we've definitely gone over time on this, and we could spend the whole episode uh, talking about this. Um, there's no easy transition to get to the Canucks from this, so we're just going to kind of make it bumbly. One last thing about that press conference is. I don't know if anyone's really talked about, it, but the five speakers they had, it was four Canadians and one Frenchman um, who were up there, which uh, was interesting as well. So uh, just just something else to, to kind of notice with uh, with that is that uh, there is a Canadian presence with uh, with that, too, um, going on uh, at the forefront. And I like to see that. I like to see the moral compass of all Canadians there as well. But um yeah, good good on everyone. Let's get this ball rolling in the right direction. Let's keep it moving. I have faith in hockey for to do what's right. Um, and on our side, we should keep moving this podcast along as well. So taking it back to on the ice, it, it, there's been a lot that's gone on 
over the last it's, it's just over a week, I think, since we last recorded, uh, we knocked out the Blues. We got beat up by the Knights, and we finally beat the Knights in regulation. Three eventful games. Uh, I want to take it back, though, to the end of the St. Louis series and that game. And just kind of go back in time. It feels like a little bit of old news, and we won't don't have to spend too much time on it because I know we've it's it's a thing in the past now. Um, but for myself watching that game, it just felt like right off the bat, the Canucks wanted it more. It felt like ever since the middle of game five in that series, they wanted this more. They came out, they built a four nothing lead on some pretty nice goals as well. And they just took it to the blues. And I know every Canucks fan was nervous. It was like, Oh geez, four nothing lead. And then the blues score one. And then the Canucks get one right back. Um, Doug, any thoughts from yourself on that game against the blues many, many moons ago? Uh, just the fact that, like you said, the Canucks wanted it more. I mean, this team, I think a lot of teams have not wanted to be in the bubble. I don't think St. Louis really wanted, weren't they, wasn't it them and Pittsburgh had both voted against the kind of bubble return to play? I believe it was those two teams. I'm pretty sure the Blues were one of them. I think you're right. But yes, I I, I think as well as defending champs, it, it made it a lot harder to be there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and yeah, so I think... They didn't really seem like they wanted to be there. I mean, obviously, you know, they still had guys playing their asses off. Ryan O'Reilly was unbelievable. But, like, Jordan Binnington, you know, he didn't look good. I don't know if Barube should have started him for that game six. Uh, probably not because he did not look good whatsoever. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the Canucks were hungrier. They wanted that win more, and they came out and they played, and they were the better team. And... Look, as a longtime Canucks fan, I was nervous. Even up being up for nothing, I was like, ugh. I was still nervous that, oh, shit, you know, the Blues could come back. Maybe there's a late, you know, a couple late goals here. And then they did get a couple of goals, but, you know, the, the Canucks held on and they dispatched the Blues in, uh, you know, what was essentially a blowout, really. Yeah, it was a blowout. I mean... You had the nice icebreaker from Beagle in the first, and that kind of set the tone. But that game was one nothing after one. It was the second period when Roussel got that early goal. That really seemed to take a bit of life out of the Blues. And then there was that It was a bad goal, too. Yeah, it wasn't a great goal. And then the puck was bouncing all over, and Roussel was able to get it in. But that third goal, the Troy Stetcher one, where everyone was in on it, that, I watched that goal. I'm not kidding. I probably watched that goal like 50 times. It, it was incredible. And then just when you're still riding the endorphins of that, a minute and a half later, Brock Besser finally gets one and just tees it up in Besser style, which we hadn't seen for a while. And then that was it. And when Schwartz scored in the third, early in the third, you, everyone was kind of gritting their teeth a bit until Beagle and Mott did it on the two-on-one. And that was when you knew that this was in the bag. It was really going to happen. Um, overall, I thought it was a, a great game that Canucks were the better team. They were the better team in that series. I think uh, six games is a fair representation of that series. And, man, I mean, uh, it was there's something. The Canucks have the Blues number. I think they've uh, won the last three series now against uh, the Blues when they met in the postseason. Yeah, and uh, Petey, he's been unbelievable against the Blues as well for his career. I believe he's over a point a game in his career, or maybe just under a point a game against the Blues. He's been really good as well. And then, even then, uh, just one last thing on that Blues game is when uh, Barube pulled, uh, it was Jake Allen in net at the time with like eight minutes left in the third period. I was like, oh God, here's I can just see a meltdown happening and them coming back but no they didn't you know in the Canucks the one thing that they've done all playoffs so far is they 
put their body in front of uh, shots, and I believe they're second, maybe third, uh, in the entire playoffs on block shots. I think they might actually be first. I know that Edler and Tanev are two and three uh, in in the playoffs, so they could be as, as high as first. But, yeah, they, they are throwing their bodies in front of everything. It's uh, It's pretty incredible. The effort from that. I mean, we could talk more and more about the Blues, but it's kind of in the past and not really as relevant now. Um, but we hadn't talked about that game. It was one of the best games we've seen from the Canucks in years. So wanted to give it a little shout out. Marky was was great in that. Blues end up after uh, I guess they played nine postseason games and they only won two of them. So uh, you know they uh, definitely didn't really defend their throne very well. Uh, Vancouver definitely wanted it more and. Uh, we're able to move on to face really one of our nemesis. I mean, Vegas and Jersey are two teams that the, the Canucks just have tons of trouble with, and they're just completely different teams. Game one, Canucks come in, and y- you could tell they're still riding that emotional high that we can beat anybody. We just beat the champs. They come in, like we're just going to go toe-to-toe with Vegas. Doesn't work. Vegas takes it to them. As great as Game 6 against St. Louis was, Game 1 against Vegas was really bad and really hard to watch. Yeah, and another thing I think that's worth mentioning, and this could still play out as the series starts to develop here, especially with all these back-to-backs, is going into Game 1 against Vegas, Alan Walsh, prominent agent for Marc-Andre Fleury, puts a picture on Twitter which was unbelievable. It's a picture, I'm sure we all saw it, but it's a picture of a sword in Flurry's back with Peter DeBoer, the head coach's name on the sword. And so that was a huge talking point going into that first game. And then at the beginning of the game, before the puck dropped, you could see Russell was chattering to Robin Leonard on the ice. And I think that kind of motivated Vegas. There was talk even before the game started that there were two or three Vegas players eyeing up Russell. And then that game, Russell just, I know what he was trying to do, but he just seemed he was kind of running around trying to chase the play and, you know, trying to like force himself to be an instigator as opposed to just naturally being an instigator. Uh, I mean, there was that god awful call where he literally just hugged Ryan Reeves and whispered something in his ear and he got a 10 minute misconduct. It was ridiculous. Uh, The one thing I definitely noticed. Uh, Quinn Hughes didn't have a good game. That was the first game where I think we saw Quinn Hughes struggle. And it was just how fast Vegas is. Like, I mean, you know, the Blues have some good skaters. I mean, Jason Schwartz or Jordan Schwartz. Is it Jordan Schwartz? Jaden. Jaden. Sorry, I'm all over the place here. Jaden, Jordan, Jason. Jaden Schwartz uh, is a hell of a skater. Um, but not like the players in Vegas. Like you noticed, and they were like, especially on the power play, they were sending a guy up to the point. Whoever had the puck on the point, they were putting pressure on him immediately. So Hughes didn't have a lot of time up there. That's what I noticed is just how quick Vegas was and how quick they were on the forecheck. And when they'd send one guy in and then he'd back off, the second guy's coming full steam to keep that pressure on whoever's trying to take the puck out of the Canucks zone. Um, it was a bad game all around. Marquee, I thought, played well. He was probably the one bright spot in that game. He, I mean, that game probably could have been 8-1, you know, or 8 nothing. part of me, as opposed to 5 nothing. Uh, so, yeah, it definitely was a shift in your opponent and a, a, the completely different style of play from what the Blues would play the Canucks to what Vegas was playing the Canucks. I thought Adam Gaudet had a good game, uh, game one as well, but yeah, not I much agree. after that. Um, those two guys, him and Marquee, uh, 
uh, Godette was able to keep his place in the lineup as Erickson was the one who got bumped for Toffoli coming back in. Um, everything about that game, you saw Vegas in full flight. They got R- Roussel. I, I, I agree. I know what he was trying to do, but Roussel's a middleweight, and he's going up against a team of heavyweights. The Canucks don't really have a heavyweight. I mean, Zach McEwen is is the guy who could maybe come in and, and do that, but you know, it's it's still Vegas is is a bigger, heavier team, and they just look like this well-oiled playoff machine. And I think Canucks fans are just right away we like the team we we're riding that high, and we're like, oh geez, right, this is the Vegas machine that we we've been watching and we knew was coming and this is why we we can't beat this team uh vegas looked unstoppable that game they uh they were just doing everything they were having their way with the canucks the canucks were they were just off their game and you mentioned hughes he had a better game too um but they are pressuring him hard um but yeah game one just you you watch that as a canucks fan you're like well where do we go from here this is going to be over in four what the canucks did between games one and two um Really, Travis Green, the way he refocused the team and readjusted the team, getting to Foley back obviously helped a lot. Um, but a lot of credit needs to go to Travis Green, I feel, for the adjustments that he made to the entire structure of the team between game one and two. And then getting to Foley in there, and the first time he touches the puck, he scores. Getting the early lead changed the whole thing. Ryan Reeves went from 15 minutes of ice time in game one to eight in game two. That that fourth line wasn't getting ice time because they were playing from behind. And I, I again, I think Travis Green deserves a lot of credit for what he did with getting the team re-prepared, refocused, and reminding them of how hungry they need to be and bring that hunger from the series against the Blues into the series against Vegas. And most importantly, to play their game and not to play Vegas's game. Yeah, I think they they needed to change styles, obviously, from how they were playing against the Blues to how they're going to have to play against Vegas. Uh, Toffoli, you know, getting in the game kind of like last-minute type of thing. I know there was that screenshot on the broadcast of uh, his stick, but they had, like, hidden his stick behind a bunch of other sticks. So yeah, that, that was, was kind great. of like... Yeah, it was like a little telltale sign. Oh, Toffoli is playing tonight. And then, like you said, that first shift... With Petey. And then have you seen that video that's been going viral today, Pete, of Petey on that goal? Uh, I don't think so. It's an, I haven't, it's, it's, haven't been on Twitter a lot today, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it, it's been tough. Um, but uh, it's this amazing move that Petey did, did. It just It's incredible. Like, I don't know who anyone who would do this. So on that goal, Petey goes around the net, obviously, right? But he sticks his right leg, right knee out, and he kind of uses the back of the post to help slingshot himself around the net quicker so he can make the pass. It's just like the hockey IQ, the level of hockey IQ that guy has to to, to think of even pulling that move is just insane. You see him literally lift his leg and then uses, like hooks it around the back post of the net the middle back post of the net to slingshot himself around even quicker to make that beautiful pass to Tyler Toffoli for the wide open goal there. Um, He's an incredible player. And I I think this is really being a coming out party in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I mean, in Vancouver, we knew he was good. Um, We knew he was going to be a good player, but what he has done in his first playoffs is remarkable. The guy's got 16 points. He is second in playoff scoring, behind Nathan McKinnon, who I feel is the only player in the league who can rival Connor McDavid right now for being the top player in the league. I mean, that that tells you something. 
Yeah, and it's his second year. I mean, Petey's doing this in the playoffs in his second year. The kid that everyone thought was going to be too small to be an impact player in the NHL was going to have to move to the wing because he wasn't going to be big enough to play center. His second year in the league, he's second in the NHL in playoff scoring, and he looks like a man possessed. Like, he had three points game two. He had three points. And the best thing I love about PD, I mean, there's so many things to love about this guy. But, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Drantz, who, again, his coverage of in, being inside the bubble has been phenomenal. Kudos to Thomas Drantz. Um, but he was saying how much chirping the Vegas Golden Knights were doing in game one. And they were calling PD squirt the entire game. And, you know, players were taking runs at him. And he didn't let it affect him whatsoever. And in turn, game two, he comes out and has a three-point night. And a nice three-point night as well. And another thing with Petey now is with those three points, he has moved up into 10th on the Canucks list of most points in a playoff season. And you look at the list above him, he's closing in on one point behind Alex Burroughs from the 2011 campaign. And Burroughs played in 25 games. He got 17 points. Petey, 12 games, 16 points. And Petey's guaranteed three more games, which means there's a good chance that Petey could move. If he even goes point a game, he would move into a tie for fifth in less games played for most points in a playoff year by Canucks all time. And and he could still have more to go. What he's doing, though, is, I mean, again, we know it, but he, is, he has raised his game to another level, and he's not afraid out there. He's in his first campaign as a somewhat lanky 20-year-old kid. He is out there taking hits, not letting things bothering him, and he's just letting his hockey do the talking. That goal he scored in tight on Leonard was just sick. And that's another great thing about the Canucks this year is that almost every game, except for the two that they got shut out, they're scoring pretty goals. And that goal was, that was a work of art. This is some skill that we've seen skilled players in this city, but this is different. Yeah, I mean, the only player that I think has the same... Not the same, not the same skill set, but that top tier skill set is Pavel Bure. Bure was the only look. Naslin was very skilled, and obviously the Sedins were very skilled, but different. I mean that like elite, like top five skill in the league. Petey's got it. Like this is his second year, and even McKinnon and McKinnon has been phenomenal for the past two and a half years. But there was that two-year stretch and the i know the abs were terrible mckinnon was looking really bad he that's why the abs got him to this sweetheart deal they he signed to right now the only reason he's on this little sweetheart deal is because when he was signing coming off his rfa uh contract he hadn't really been the first overall pick you know player that a lot of people thought he was going to be so right now you know, it took McKinnon a while to get to the level he is today. Petey's doing this in his second year, like his second year. There was another tweet that went viral. It was amazing. Um, uh, Jay, I, I don't know what his handle is on Twitter, so I'm kind of an asshole, but I know his name's Jay. Uh, and he said that Petey is now three points away from tying Austin Matthews' career point totals in, in the playoffs. Yeah, it's and and you are kind of an asshole, but that, that, that's it's not to do with that. But you're, you're right; it's uh, everything he's 
the comparisons to Pavel Datsuk, I think, are the, the most fair. I know people were chucking the Gretzky comparisons out at him early. That's a lot of pressure. And to be fair, he doesn't really play like Gretzky. There's some things that he does, which is which is a huge compliment. That There are some things that he does that reminds me of Gretzky. And especially when he does things like that, like behind the net that you were talking about. Uh, he is really good down in that bumper spot as well. But... The Datsuk comparison, I think, for me is more apt because Datsuk had this just lightning skill. I mean, you we can we can see in our head the replays of some of Pavel Datsuk's goals, and we'll, we'll see them forever. That fantastic skate drag goal that he had, and just it, and his two way ability as, as well. And that's the that's the thing with with Pedersen is he's I know he doesn't kill penalties, but he. When he is on the ice, he is a fierce back checker. He is getting in there. He's a guy who, and I know I've said this about Horvat too, but I do think Pedersen is going to get nominated for a Selkie Trophy one of these days. Yeah, I, I agree. And sometimes it's hard for you to get nominated when you don't have much uh, PK time. I also want to give a shout out. So it's Hamilton underscore 87. Uh, he just goes by J on Twitter. He's the one that put that tweet up about uh, PD uh, three points away from tying Austin Matthews' career total for playoff points. So yeah, J Hamilton underscore eighty seven. Uh, Datsuk, I agree. He is he is the comp to me for PD. He's the guy that looks like PD the most in, as far as skill and defensive prowess. I mean, I don't know if PD's going to end up ever playing PK time. I would like to see him play that if he can handle those minutes as well as power play and five on five because he is very smart and very adapt defensively as well. Um, Bo Horvat, he tries really hard, but when you look at his defensive numbers, he actually isn't as great as you think he is defensively, but he is improving. Uh, and that's the one thing that I think that this incarnation of Canucks needs to have credit is they have constantly improved as the core kind of got together with the additions of obviously Horvat and Besser, Petey, Quinn Hughes, adding a guy like JT Miller, adding a guy like Tanner Pearson, uh, Tyler Toffoli, even guys like Troy Stetcher, Chris Tanev. This team has constantly improved, you know, and this year it's all kind of clicking for them. And, you know, they sure they had some struggles in the regular season, but quite often I think you see teams in every league, you know, the regular season just becomes monotonous and mundane and, you know, it's hard to get up and play your best every single game. And you see teams like the Canucks often struggle against teams they should definitely beat, like the New Jersey Devils. The Canucks are a far better team right now than the New, than, than the New Jersey Devils are. But for whatever reason, the Devils right now have their number. Um, but yeah, seeing this team come together inside the bubble like this and seeing how game to game, they'll have a bad game. They had a bad game, game one against Minnesota. They had two bad games against the Blues. They had one bad game so far against Vegas. And every time they've had that bad game, they've responded. And all that is, I would rather this team be challenged than just go through the motions, you know, like... What this does for any team that pushed back against St. Louis after blowing a two nothing series lead, and especially in Game Four when they, I thought they were Game Three, I thought they were in it at times, but you could feel the Blues pushing. Game Four, the Canucks didn't play well, and that Game Five for the first half of Game Five, it looked like well we've seen this movie, and it was the same thing with Game One against Vegas and really Game One uh, against Minnesota. Uh, the team just you're like oh we've seen this movie and they've bounced back well, and I think. 
I, I know I said it earlier. Uh, for me, this season is a success regardless now. Obviously, I want us to beat Vegas. Uh, it's not going to be easy, uh, but I still I think we can do it. It's going to take a few things to go our way. Uh, maybe the Vegas goalie controversy ends up playing a factor again, and that would be crazy if that, that was the case and the Canucks get through three series where the other teams had the, the goalie controversies and not us. But this this whole bubble thing is unique in terms of gelling the team. Um, everything you hear from this team, and you mentioned Thomas Drance um, as well, from Farhan to to everyone, to Dollywall, like everyone is saying that there's something about this team that is different. They, there's a real like amongst this team. This team really gets along. And again, I, I heap a ton of praise on Travis Green for this because he he got off to a rougher start in his time in Vancouver. What he's doing in the playoffs and what he's doing in this situation and what he's doing with adapting. And I, I love even just that game where he uh, he totally shook up the lines. He threw uh, that curveball with what he was running in practice. And then all of a sudden it was different lineup for, for the game. He's using whatever he can to leverage it. And the way he got that team refocused after game one and said, hey, you guys, that wasn't your game. You you want to play Vegas's game? You're going to lose. How did we beat St. Louis? How did we beat Minnesota? We beat them with skill. We beat them with the power play. We beat them with speed. That's the only way we're going to beat Vegas. Let's go out there and, and play our game. And the team buys into it. And that team wants to be there. We mentioned St. Louis maybe didn't want to be there as much. I don't think that the Blues wanted to be there as much as a lot of other teams there. They didn't have that passion. The Canucks are playing with that heart, and it it, it comes from that dressing room. It's, uh, you know, as as much as we spend, this is our 49th episode, we've spent a lot of episodes talking about contracts and prospects and, and this and that. This team that is on the ice right now is a really good mix of youth and veterans. And, you know, say what you want about the contracts, and we've, we've said a lot about contracts. Now is not the time for that. It's... Uh, enjoying this mix and you see the value of guys like Beagle and Sutter on the team and you see this youth movement um, and these guys from this experience the youth core of this team being in this bubble being with this coach being with this veteran leadership buying into a system achieving some success already this these playoffs taking a stand uh, against racial injustice uh, it's some really important and incredible building blocks that the Canucks have learned this year. And I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And uh, just going back to what you were talking about, Travis Green, um, even the fact that like for game two and Toffoli was able to go and, you know, you're adding a skilled guy and you know, we got to try to match skill with skill against Vegas. He took er er Louis Erickson out of the lineup instead of a guy like Adam Gaudet, who I thought Adam Gaudet, like you said earlier in the episode, was probably one of the bright spots of game one. Uh, I, you know, it would have been easy for him to take Gaudet out of the lineup, but no, he kept Gaudet in because he did have a good game and he does add more skill to the lineup than a guy like Louis Erickson, who, you know, to be fair to Louis, yeah, he does, he's probably not going to get you many points right now in his career, but he has been very serviceable on the defensive end. But even for Green to just make that call and to go with uh, Gaudet over Louis Erickson, you know, that, that that was a great call. And Green has really won me over. And there was that video that came out after the St. Louis series where all the players were in there and they were 
the the pina colada song was playing and then he comes and he's like hey turn the music down and he's like i just got two things i want to say he's like i'm so proud of you guys and something he said now let's focus for vegas he's like now turn the fucking music up and he walks out or whatever i I just love that man it was so great and all the all the players loved it as well you can tell that the players really like travis and the one thing he always says in the media and i've gotten a little annoyed with him because at times when the Canucks have really kind of had a bad game, he's never really said, he's like, oh, I thought we played well. I thought we played good. You know, and I, I understand that it's best to keep, kind of keep that, you know, that stuff in the locker room and not, you know, chastise a player publicly or in the media. Um, but he always says, we talk to our players. We talk to our players. We talk to our guys. And so I think he is he's one of those guys who has a great communication with his players. I'm not going to say he's a player's coach, but I think just the fact that he communicates with his players all the time and he's talking to them, as opposed to a player being in the doghouse, and the player doesn't even really know what he's done or why he's in the doghouse. And, you know, Elaine Vigneault's been in the news lately for some probably not great things, you know, the Montreal thing, and then obviously, you know, his comments yesterday as well. Um... But Vino at times has always kind of had that whipping boy. And he's a good coach, but he's always had that whipping boy. And a lot of times, you know, players are like, I don't know what I've done. I don't know why he, he hates me. Who was the guy, the Canucks, do you remember? I think it was Eric Schwernard. I believe it was like Gillis signed him or traded for him from Minnesota, Minnesota. way back in the day. Yeah, 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 I do remember him. He was, uh, I was pretty excited about that guy. Yeah, so was I. And Vino hated him, hated him right off the hop. I'm pretty sure it was Eric Schwernard. And Vino, for whatever reason, hated him right off the hop. And I, I believe he was off the team by Christmas or before the new year. Green doesn't seem like he's like that. Like he's a guy who he communicates with his players. And if he's disappointed in a player and he expects more out of a player, he'll say it to them, uh, you know, face to face and try to coach them up as opposed to constantly beat them down. Uh, yeah, actually, I think I think it might have been Mark Schwernard, not Eric Schwernard. But uh, Schwernard, I know his last name was Schwernard. I believe it's Mark. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think it was Mark. And yeah, he was a guy that, you know, was fairly highly touted. He he was coming off a big year with Minnesota, and for whatever reason, Vino hated him. And, you know, we saw that early on, I think, with Travis Green, with Ben Hutton. You know, he didn't really seem to like Ben Hutton, didn't really trust Ben Hutton, but Green's really grown as a coach, and... Right now, man, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of too many coaches in the league I'd rather have over Travis Green right now. I r- really wouldn't. He's become, I think, uh, he's really skyrocketed up in this past year. He's become one of the better coaches in the league. Two examples um, that I would like to use as well to strengthen this conversation about Travis Green. Um, Jake Vertanen and, again, going back to Adam Gaudet. So we know Vertanen wasn't in the start of the lineup, and Gaudet missed a good chunk of the series uh, against the Blues and the Wild. When they both came back into the lineup, they felt like the best versions of themselves. Uh, it felt like Jake Vertanen has played a lot better than he was before. He's been more noticeable. He's not perfect by any means, but he's playing with a, a, a more of a hunger. And Adam Gaudet, after that first game or so against Minnesota, he just he didn't look right and he's come back in in this series against a much harder team and he is playing much harder he's very noticeable out there you see 88 everywhere he's pressuring the points he's working on the boards he feels like he's bigger this year too I don't know I just uh it's those two guys and whatever the team has done and and whatever green has done with those players I feel like those are two really good examples uh, of guys who come in. I mean, you can say the same thing about Oscar Fantenberg as well. And even uh, Jordy Ben with his quick turnaround time. He's getting the most out of his players. 
And the players when that he takes out, Louis Erickson, that was because he had to take out someone. As a, who was the number 12 guy? And uh, that game, Adam Gaudet wasn't getting taken out. Jake Furtanen wasn't getting taken out. Tyler Mott, Jay Beagle, they're not getting taken out. It was Louis Erickson, and that was the right call. I think every Canucks fan would agree that the player to come out in that situation was Louis Erickson. And guess what? It, it's worked out great. Now you got a guy who's got playoff games and can come back in ready if you need him as well. Yeah, I, I do think it took Jake a couple of games to kind of get his motor going, but I agree. You know, Jake has obviously had that one big game against St. Louis, and, you know, he got into it game two with Alex Tuck, where, again, I don't understand how Tuck doesn't get a 10-minute misconduct for that. You literally see him look up at the ref and look at the Canucks and then just start pounding, grounding and pounding Jake again. Um but yeah, Jake has been getting more involved physically, and obviously that usually translates to him getting some points on the score sheet as well. Uh, but Goddard, I agree. Since Goddard's been back in the lineup, he's been all over the ice. He's been very noticeable. Uh, you know, he's had a couple of fairly decent scoring chances, but just the effort and his constant work along the boards to try to fish the puck up puck out and the fact that you know he adds another element to the second unit power play which now has Brock Besser on it with Tyler Toffoli coming back that second unit now in theory should be a lot more dangerous when they get their opportunities right now they're probably only getting 30 seconds a power play because the first unit's out there for usually a minute and a half uh but yeah I think Godette's been great and I, I do think Vertanen has gotten progressively better since he's gotten back in the lineup yeah, I mean, you look at their stat lines. Vertanen only has two points in 11 games. Gaudet has zero points in five games. But they're both averaging about 10 minutes of ice time, which is which is noticeable. And it's more than a few other guys. Like It's more than McEwen, Roussel, and Furland were, were getting. So there is more of a trust factor there. Uh, again, you don't necessarily need to get points to be making a, a difference, but... I do feel like the way that the roster is being managed right now, um, I have a lot more confidence in it. There's definitely been times with Green where I'm just like, what, what's he doing? Why is he just sticking with these guys? But right now in the playoffs, the way he's adapting and changing it, I give him I give him full full marks. I think he's doing a, a really good job right now. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with you more. Doug, let's, uh, let's take this into the free pour here. Let's do it. All right, it's time for the free pour open floor segment of our episode, and I'm just going to jump into mine, and I just want to talk about being kind to one another. Uh, you know, right now, it's a, it's a pretty messed up world we're living in. Uh, there's a lot of hatefulness going on in the world. Uh, it's, it's stressful for everybody. Uh, everybody's mental health, uh, I'm sure, is is being tested to levels that they probably haven't had to be tested before, my, my, mine included. And I just think right now, you know, it's, it's, it, it's tough out there, but, you know, let's just try to be kind to one another. I think right now just an act of kindness to one another uh, really goes a long way. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to get on my soapbox and say, look at me. But I know there's a guy at work who um, he was uh, seeing another person that we work with, and she uh, uh, she was she's flown back home somewhere in Europe. I won't mention where. 
and he's been torn this whole time about what he should do. Should he stay in Vancouver? He still has time on his visa, or should he, you know, chase after her and fly, go back to Europe? And he made the decision to fly back to Europe to go after her. And I just pulled him aside and I said, hey man, I really respect what you're doing, dude. Seriously, I think, uh, you know, a lot of guys or girls wouldn't have the rhetoric to do that. And you know what? Good for you, man. And uh, he really appreciated it. And it just kind of gave him that little bit of confidence that what he was doing and the decision he was making was the right one. Not that, you know, what I, some idiot like me has to say to him is going to sway his decision. But just, just supporting people like that and saying, hey, man, you know what? Good for you. Uh, it goes a long way. It really does, especially now. Yeah, I agree. Well said. And today is also the day, Doug, uh, where the new Bill and Ted movie comes out. And as Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan would say, be excellent to each other. This is, I guess it's going to be a heavier uh, free pour because I wanted to talk about something that is it, it's very noticeable and prevalent in our city and um and especially with with recent things this week as well um but when i was out running today i was thinking about this a lot and uh it's the i guess the war on drugs was what i kept coming back to and the reaganomics of it and and how what what brought this fight on and and just the propaganda i had growing up uh, about drugs and it was more it was more it felt more like propaganda ish and it was uh it was very much don't do drugs you'll you'll become a weirdo and the reality now is don't do drugs because you might die and i have a lot of friends whose kids and i have a niece and nephew as well i got a nephew who's starting high school uh this past week over in scotland and it's a different reality for for people now and this whole saying of don't do drugs it means something different now and i just think that uh that's a that's a real heavy burden for parents and kids of this uh generation i know a lot of my parents uh, friends who are parents are, are having issues with that and trying to figure that out um and for me to kind of go on a soapbox and say don't do drugs it, it could be seen as hypocritical or just fall on deaf ears or whatever but the reality of it is is that this is a very different era please be careful out there please think about what you're doing and and if you need help just like with doug was saying as well talk to people there's people out there i know it's a lot of time easier said than done but uh, it's just man growing up in the 80s it's uh, it, it and becoming a teenager in the uh, early 90s very very different time for a lot of that stuff and uh, just just thinking back on that when I was out and about today just uh, yeah, just made me want to think about how to kind of approach that because I, I wanted to mention something about this in our episode and uh, just be safe and again yeah. again as Bill and Ted would have said party on dude party on man Well, Doug, there we go. A little bit of a heavier episode at, at times, bookmarked uh, in sandwiched in the middle. We did get some Canucks talk in there, but uh, certainly being an eventful week or so, 
lots to unpack. Um, we're, we, you know, I always hope that when we go back and edit this and listen, I hope that we got what we're trying to say across in the right way and, you know, not piss off too many people at all. Um, our intentions are always good with these things, but, man, some, uh, some heavy topics to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be easy to just ignore all the, you know, social injustices and, you know, some of the heavy conversations that need to be had right now and just talk about the Canucks and how excited, you know, we all are as a fan base to see them, you know, in the second round of the playoffs and, you know, how they had a great response game against the Vegas after game one, but... You know, some things are bigger than sports, and you and I started this podcast just over a year ago now uh, to, you know, be an outlet for us to talk sports and to talk about our fandom of the Canucks, and in this past year of episodes we've done, there's been some heavier episodes, and this was one of them, and I'm glad that I got to express myself like this, because, you know, at times, like you said, talking about stuff you know, often makes you feel better and makes you feel more at ease with some of the social anxieties and, you know, we're all having day to day. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, talking and, and having having someone like yourself, Doug, as well, to, to do this with, um, and, and, you know, you're, you're a good person and a level-headed sports fan as well. It, it certainly, it, it is an outlet for us in a lot of ways. And uh, so, you know, it, it, we hope our points come across, but if they don't, hey, just just come and yell at us or talk to us. Uh, we're, we're more than happy to, to talk about all things, not just hockey and sports and music. We're, we're happy to talk about everything. Uh, you can find us uh, again on the Twitter machine. You got me at Pete underscore gas. You got the podcast at Canucks speak. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn and the funky groove you're hearing now will be added to the Canucks Speak Easy outro playlist on Spotify. Give that a follow as well. Yeah, this is a, this is a great beat. Um, also, uh, again, RIP Chadwick Boseman, man. That came uh, that came out of nowhere today. Um, big fan of some of his movies. Um, that was another blow for 2020. Um, shout out to all the people down in Louisiana. I got friends and family down in that area uh, as well. Um, you know, hope everything is going okay. Shout out to everyone in California. It's uh, it's there's a lot going on out there. We're all gonna get through it and be stronger together. And uh, another shout out to the Canucks, not for what they did on the ice, but what for they did off the ice. Uh, I really couldn't be prouder of the boys for that. And another shout out to Justin Morissette as well. Yeah, I think uh, you know, uh, shout out to him. Uh, laying in a hospital. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, dude, but hey, man, Pete and I are thinking of you. Yeah, we'll give you a. We're gonna give you a tag uh, when we post it as well. And uh, you know, if you need something to get you through a little bit, yeah, you can even fast forward us here and there. But uh, um, hope you're doing well, buddy. Um, everyone out there, mad props to all of you as well. Um, much love to the Canucks universe. I know we always like to fight each other and everything, but uh, uh, we still love all you Canucks fans. You're all crazy. Yeah. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. I'm still awake. Yeah.